Hello everyone, welcome back to the One Talk podcast here with your host Ryan McCarthy and today we are joined by Jem Fuller. Jem is a conscious communication coach and also an award-winning author of the book The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men. Jem is also a TEDx speaker and he did a speech on the TEDx YouTube channel on how conscious communication can change your game. Jem also runs international retreats in countries such as India, Indonesia, Australia and Costa Rica as an example. Jem has an absolute wealth of knowledge and wisdom and within today's episode he shares his wisdom in terms of conscious communication, also on mental health and also a lot of the work that he does and a lot of the challenges that we see in society today. So I'm really keen for everyone to check out today's episode. In other news, if you could please leave this podcast a rating on whatever platform you're listening to. It would mean so much in terms of helping this podcast grow and reaching a larger audience. If you could also share it with a friend, family member, or on your Facebook stories or Instagram stories, that would mean a lot as well. But without further ado, let's welcome Jem. Thank you. Thank you. The marathon continues. Victory lap tonight, though. Victory lap tonight. Welcome, Jem. How are you, man? Hey, Ryan. I'm good. Thank you, brother. Thanks for um, thanks for having me along to have a chat with you. No worries at all. Thanks for coming on, man. I've been doing a lot of research and the work that you do. Listen to your TED Talks. I started reading your book. I've been listening to all the podcasts you've been on. And the very diverse knowledge and wisdom that you have, and I assume it comes from a lot of experience from a lot of different avenues in life. But like reflecting on your life, do you get to a point now where you're grateful for everything that you've been through, whether it's challenging or whether it's positive? Because a lot of people in life can have regrets when they look in their past, whether it's good or bad. But I do believe we can all learn something from the good and the bad or the helpful and the unhelpful in life. Where do you sit with that for your own life? Oh uh, yeah, I completely agree with you, man. I I have got to a point where um, I don't have any regrets. Um, I'm very grateful for everything that I've been through, uh, the highs and the lows. And you know that doesn't mean that the lows weren't hard. They they you know I've been through really hard times, and I'm expecting that in the future there'll be stuff that hurts still. You know when when a loved one dies, it hurts. There's no way around that. Um, and we're all going to die. So it's going to happen again at some point. I'm sure I'm going to lose another loved one. Um, <clears throat> but it's interesting, you know, I was I was listening to Brene Brown's book, um, Atlas of the Heart, where she talks about all different emotions. And um, and I was then listening to the definition around regrets and having regrets or not. And then I was listening to someone else. It wasn't Brene Brown. It was another author. And they were saying how, oh, no, I think it was in Brene Brown's book. And they were saying how you should have regrets because if you don't regret anything, you don't learn from it. And I thought a lot about that. And I thought, no, actually, no, no, for me, it's not like that. So I have regretted things, right? So when I've made a mistake and I hurt, you know, accidentally hurt someone or hurt myself or didn't get a great outcome, you know, when I've made mistakes, I've regretted it in that time and I've thought about it and I've done my best to learn from it. But then I let go of the regret because it happened. 
you can't undo it. And our emotional, mental energy is a finite resource, right? You can get you can get tired, you can get exhausted, you can have a breakdown if your mental emotional energy becomes depleted. So I don't want to waste my emo- emotional mental energy, man. I want to conserve it. So I'm not going to spend energy on something that I can't control or influence. Yeah. Right? I can't control that that thing happened. <clears throat> it happened. Yeah. It's done. Right. So I'm going to practice acceptance and go, well, it happened. Um, whether it was my quote unquote, whether it was my fault or whether it was just something happened that was beyond my control, it happened. It's done. So I'm going to try and learn from it, but I don't hold on to regrets because I think that's a waste of energy. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And do you think it's also like not holding on to regrets emotionally because that can be very something that weighs down us a lot? Do you feel like it's a part of us still has to remember what the emotion was attached to the regrets so we don't repeat that action or repeat that thing that caused it in the first place? Yeah, well, we learn the most from pain. Yeah. You know, if you don't ever experience pain, you're not likely to learn too much. I mean, yeah, we learn from reward, um, but that's a cheap learning, you know. We, we want a dopamine hit, so we chase something that's going to make us feel good um, and we learn – you know, like we're animals, right? And we learn what makes us feel good. Um, so chasing things, and that can get out of kilter because initially the drives are to eat food, drink water and have sex and reproduce, right? These are our basic drives. And to avoid pain and, and you know, to avoid pain and potential death. So that's where the fear factor kicks in. Um, but it seems to me that we learn more profoundly through pain and suffering than we do through the pleasures. Yep. You know, when life's cruisy, you're just kind of cruising along. When life's tough, man, there's some real stuff to be learnt there. Mm. And um so look, I think it's I think it's good to remember what you've been through, but but perhaps you can remember what you've been through without holding on or being attached or identified with the trauma. You know, I think that the there's a nice piece of work to do and it's an ongoing piece of work, but I think there's a nice piece of work to do that is constantly remembering to let go of any attachment to past trauma. Mm. Yeah. It makes sense because one thing I always say is that pain plus reflection equals progress. They really feel like, you know, if you have a little bit of an audit of your own life or if you audit where you had pain in your life and you really reflect on that, you can really get a lot of progress out of it because you learn what not to do, you learn what environments to put yourself in the future. It can tail off to so many different things, but you can learn so much just through reflecting without having the actual emotional attachment attached to it, rather yeah. more so just being more logical and trying to think more practical. Yeah, absolutely. You know, And so, yes, it's important to feel emotions, obviously, because we have them. And, and it's, yes, it's important to feel the emotions that you're going through when things are tough. And to and then, like you said, Ryan, to reflect and try and glean some kind of learning from it, so that hopefully you evolve and and improve in some way, so that you, the next time you're in that similar situation, you can deal with it a bit better. Um, that's evolution, right? That's that's we're, we're naturally here to evolve, hopefully. Um, and evolution involves change. Change is a definite change is happening whether we like it or not. So embracing change and even designing change is a functional way to evolve through things. And change is the unknown right? and, and uncertainty. There's a whole bunch of uncertainty out there. And if you resist the uncertainty because you're being driven by fear, 
um, then when when the change happens, whether you like it or not, when the shit hits the fan, whether you like it or not, it's going to hurt even more if you've been fearfully resisting it. Whereas if you're kind of walk, stepping out into it, courageously embracing the change and the unknown, um, that's how you evolve and grow, man. Yeah. Uh, like this thought just came up for me. I'd like to hear your perspective on it too. It just came up for when you were saying that, that when life evolves, people can get this feeling of feeling stuck as time goes by, but they feel like that's because they don't evolve with life. Instead, they just stay in the same patterns and not actually adapting to what's happening around them. Yeah, that's a really, um, a really astute um, observation, man. I, I think that if you're feeling stuck and life is moving around you as it will do regardless, but you have the perception of feeling stuck, then you can, then it can kind of, um, while you're watching everything around you evolve and change and keep moving, it can feel pretty worrisome, you know? And, and the reason, quite often the reason that we feel stuck is because our ego, our sense of identity, has attached itself to the status quo, to the way things are. So our ego identifies with our, the way we think, um, our ideas, our political beliefs, our religious or spiritual beliefs, the way we think life should be. Our ego attaches with our physical body, the way we look, whether it's good, bad or ugly. Even if you feel negatively, if you have a negative self-image, your ego still attaches to it, even if it's not healthy for you, even if you really don't like yourself, even that, the ego attaches to that. That's why people can get stuck in depression or you know, self-depreciation. So we, we become identified with the status quo. And so then as everything else is moving around us, we feel really, really stuck. And so a key practice there is to uh, keep letting go of of the way you think things should be. Keep letting go of um, past identifications. And just breathe and let go. Open up some space for the new becoming, you know, of, of who you can become. Because when you let go, you go with the flow of the river of life and you change and adapt and evolve and, and become something different more easily than if you're kind of holding on to this ego thing, you know. Mm, that's when you really grow and experience new depths of yourself that you didn't know you had. And I think yeah. a lot of people may think that the success is external, but usually it's going deeper within and find out more about yourself. Completely. Completely. I mean, look, there's so many pieces of research that have been done around this. Success is not in what you create externally. Mm. You know, once once you get past a survival level, you know, when you're when you're struggling to survive, i.e., you're in poverty and you don't have enough money to feed yourself, let alone your kids, and you're struggling to put a roof over their head, that's a different story, right? But but if you are making enough money to survive and you've got a roof over your head and you've got food in the fridge, no matter how much more money you make above and beyond that, that does not equal your happiness, you know? Yeah. And I know a lot of people who are wealthy and they they did everything that society taught them to do. They, um, they got a good job. They worked really, really hard. They sacrificed really, really hard. They invested their money. They've created wealth and they're wealthy and they're really unhappy, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then I've got... Mate, like my, I call him my brother. He's not my real brother. He's my Himalayan brother. But my brother up in the mountains in the Himalaya, man, compared to the rest of us here in Australia, he's poor, mm. right? They're living hand to mouth pretty much. He's the happiest dude I've ever met. You know, happiness, his happiness comes from his inward um, 
state of being, his inward reflections and and whatever else it is, but it's all the inward stuff that is his happiness, you know, not the external. Yeah, yeah, it's so true because especially with the inward stuff, it's very hard or very difficult to lose the things that you learn and gain and the abilities or skill sets that you learn. Rather, the external things can go like that in a flash. But the internal, I'll give like an example that <clears throat> you may relate with. Um, so like an, an example would be when I was younger, I used to battle depression, but the skills that I learned to overcome depression. And now when I have moments where that may seep back into my life, just like glimpses of it, I know exactly what to do to pull me out of it and get me back on track because I've done the internal work and I know what patterns work. But in the past, I was always seeking external things to help me with depression but no matter what I try and grab onto, it slip out my hands. So the more internal I went, the more answers I got, and the more ways I could recognize patterns that were very successful for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful story and analogy, and and it's just it's so true. You know, everything in the outside world is uncertain. Everything can be taken away from you. Every relationship you've got in the physical sense at some point in time is going to end. Every physical thing you own can be gone. Your house can be flooded. <laughs> like some people in Brisbane right now, you know, or your house can burn down or your car can be stolen. Everything you own can be gone. Um, but what can't be taken away from you is your certainty of self. So as you dedicate time to um, building good foundations, internal foundations, and, you know, understanding which practices, which internal practices work for you and help you feel better, um, then as you build on this, no one can take that away from you, you know. And another another really beautiful internal uh, reflection and then practice that no one can take away from you is if you create your sense of identity, as in who am I? When you ask yourself, when you look in the mirror and go, who am I? Right. When you create your sense of identity that is an internal alignment to your core values, not to all the roles you play, not to being someone's husband or brother or son or boss or worker or sports person, not all these external roles you play. They're just vehicles. They're just ways of experiencing life. When you can formulate a sense of identity that is just to do with your core values, i.e. something like, I am a kind, generous, loving, open-minded, action-taking man, right? So that's my sense of identity. No one can take that away from you. No one can ever stop you from being those things. There's no obstacles. There's no challenges. There's nothing, oh, one day in the future when I get there, I can be that. No, no, no. Think about your core values, kind, generous, open, whatever they are. You can be them right now <laughs> and no one can stop you. So it's a it's a, a, a nice way to create that sense of certainty. Mm, 100%. And a lot of people feel like they have to make like a massive external change for the internal to happen. Like for someone to create that identity, they feel like they have to move to another city or start a new job and create a new environment. But you literally can just by identifying your own beliefs and identifying your own values, just put the stake in the ground today and really choose who you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And and people ask me, well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I create that sense of identity? And that's where we can um, harness neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is the the changing nature of our brains, our thinking, our wiring, so to speak, in terms of our beliefs, how we believe life to be, how we believe ourselves to be, um, our, our own sense of of, of self worth or acceptance. And you can very literally create new neural associations 
just by firing those particular neurons repetitively over time consistently, right? So they're called affirmations. I used to think affirmations were a hippie woo-woo thing. I used to think they were bullshit. And it's really nice to see now that with fMRI and, and you know, the photoimaging of the brain and us understanding the neurology and how the neurons wire and, you know, the more we understand it, there's science there to show, no, this is how it works. And so just say, for example, you your sense of identity up until now had been something like, oh, like I, I, I'm kind of okay, but I'm not great at things or I don't think I'm good enough, right? I'm not smart enough or I'm not fast enough or I'm not good looking enough or I'm not enough, right? If that's been your sense of identity, which I had for the first 42 years of my life, bar the first five years, from from zero to five, I didn't think that. I thought I was fine. Something happened when I was six, which I don't need to go into. Something happened when I was six and I started to think I wasn't good enough. And until I was 42 and and kind of had my midlife awakening and understanding, I had this background belief that I wasn't good enough. So then I would sabotage my success. I would attract to me evidence to show, to prove to myself that I wasn't good enough. All these stuff went on. But when I realized this and went to work on myself and I read some books around it and I just, every single day, mate, I was just waking up every single day. I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm enough. Over and over and over and over again. I didn't even believe it to begin with. I thought, oh, this is a crock of shit. And, you know, took about six months before I started to notice that, my, my internal belief around that started to shift, you know? And then after 12 months of repeating this every day, these neurons started to wire together. I'm like, of course I'm enough. I'm enough to be me. <laughs> I don't need to be more like anyone else. I should just be me. And I started to really believe it. And then when your beliefs change, your experience of the outside world changes. Right? Mm. So the outside world is just the outside world. But when your perception of the outside world changes, your relationship to the outside world changes because you're perceiving it differently. So you're treating the outside world. When I say the outside world, I mean the person in front of you or your dog or your work or your anything, anything external. You're treating it differently because you're perceiving it differently. So then you get different results, <laughs> right? So you can really, and this is what I did, I completely changed my experience of this thing we call life by changing some of those fundamental internal beliefs. Mm. Affirmations are awesome, man. I'm glad you touched on that. I want to break that down a bit because when I first started doing affirmations, I thought the same. I was like, this doesn't work. It's just repeating words. Over a certain period of time, I started seeing my beliefs change and I started seeing my identity change. And not just that, like my actual physical posture was changing when I was going into rooms and feeling more confident. Like there's so many benefits that can come from it. But it's not just having the thought of what the affirmation is. It's actually having the feeling attached to it as well and letting your heart sit with that. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. I do. And also uh, the feeling associated with it, the feeling that comes from having uh, a dopamine peak neural state. So when your dopamine levels are, are up higher, the plasticity is more active. So the neurons are making those connections um, a lot quicker. So that's why I'll do my affirmations. For the last year now, I've been doing my affirmations after. So at the end of my shower, I do 60 seconds of full blast cold water. And down here in Victoria, I live on a farm. And down here in Victoria, man, in winter, that water is cold. Bloody cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really cold. I do not enjoy it. But the dopamine levels go up. And when I get out of the shower, I'm feeling so good. 
because the dopamine levels are high. So my emotions are feeling good. I'm feeling positive. I'm feeling high. And that's when I'm running my affirmations for a good five to 10 minutes after I get out of, that, out of the cold shower. That's when the affirmations are going. Because like you said, you've got that uh, emotional um, energy behind the formation of those new beliefs as well. I'm going to do that after my next ice bath now. <clears throat> yeah, the affirmations 100%. right after. hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the thing I love about affirmations, ice bath, meditation, and breath work, things like that, is because when you touch on the dopamine side of things, it's like one of the habits you can do that doesn't raise your baseline of dopamine. Sorry, let me. Yeah. It's one of the habits that doesn't raise your baseline of dopamine to a point where you have to do more extreme things. So it's not like you do a three-minute ice bath and then six months of doing it, you got to be in there for half an hour to get the same effects. You know, like yeah. you would with other stimulants out there. So that's why I love doing the practices that you're talking about because you can do them every day and still feel the same level of dopamine that you did when you did it 20 years ago or two days ago, yeah. no matter what it is. Yeah, and and also when you when you uh, increase your dopamine levels from something like cold water exposure, the dopamine levels stay um, elevated for two to three hours after, as opposed to someone who does a line of cocaine their dopamine levels stay elevated for 20 minutes and then they're back down again and they want another line again and they're becoming an addict, you know. So it's a, it's a different release, dopamine release as well. Um, yeah, and, and you touched on meditation. Mindfulness meditation has been one of the most profound and on, in the, on the one hand subtle, like it's really subtle, the benefits, but also on the other hand when you look at it, it's a superpower. You can develop a bit of a superpower particularly with mindfulness meditation as opposed to transcendental meditation and some other forms of meditation. But for me, man, committing to, and I, I started this in 2014, so coming up 10 years, committing to a regular practice of mindfulness meditation and developing the ability to sit as consciousness, simply observing what shows up in consciousness, which is anything that you can notice is an object of your observation. So you can notice your thoughts. I always, the thoughts are pretty much always there, but you can notice them. You can notice your emotions. You can notice any physical sensations. You can notice what you can see or hear or smell. Right? So by sitting in observation for 20 minutes each morning, you just develop the ability to remove yourself from being identified with the experience, which is our ego. So when you're identified with the experience, you're kind of stuck there. That's what we were talking about before. But if you can develop the ability to come to a place of consciousness, just observation, you're no longer stuck or identified with it. You are literally just in the flow and the ebb and the movement of of life, which is in a constant state of change. Mm, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about meditation is that people think it's about stopping your thoughts, but it's really just about observing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Good luck stopping your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like when you do try and stop them, it, you don't even get to meditate because you get too frustrated trying yep. to practice the meditation. <laughs> yeah. And then I have people coming to me saying, oh, Jim, I can't meditate. I've got way too busy a mind. I'm like, you don't have any more of a busy mind than the next person. We've all got busy minds. The neurons are constantly firing. You know, there's these constant little um, electrical impulses going through a neuron, which fires a little chemical explosion across the synapse, which then gets the other chemical explosion on the other synapse and across and in. This is always happening, um, you know, and 
yeah, like you said, if you if you're trying to stop your thoughts because you think that's what meditation is, you're just going to get frustrated and give up, yeah. rather than sitting there and um and and simply noticing the thoughts come and go. So true. Like since you started doing mindfulness practices consistently, what do you think has been some of the biggest shifts you've seen within yourself? Um, well, you know, there's there's benefits. There's benefits like my ability to focus has improved, my ability to be present for others has improved. Um, I mean, part my my work, a lot of my work is still coaching. I've been running my own coaching consultancy for um, almost eleven years now, and and so there's many tens of thousands of hours where I've sat holding space for someone, just sitting there and being present asking them questions and listening. Uh, and so my so a combination of that and the mindfulness meditation practice has meant my ability to be really present has improved. Um, so then there's, you know, side benefits like productivity. If I sit down to write out a workshop, I can, I can smash it out way faster than I used to, um, things like that. But really the benefit or the benefits that I'm even more grateful for is my ability to um, shift through suffering or discomfort or, or something that's unpleasant to to let that dissipate really really quickly, you know. So when I get triggered, and I still get triggered, nowhere near as much as I used to, but I still get triggered by usually my kids, <laughs> either my kids or maybe my mum, <laughs> bless her cotton socks. Um, but if I get triggered. And I, I'm experiencing something like frustration or maybe it's even anger that I'm experiencing. I can go and sit down and take a breath, go into a state of consciousness, mindfulness meditation, and that experience dissipates within 15, 20 seconds, you know, and I'm back to a place of equanimity. And this is not pushing an emotion under the rug like a lot of us do. A lot of men, especially, I'm generalizing, but a lot of men push the emotion under the rug and just go, no, nah, no, nah, she'll be right, mate, and just not feel it. But it bubbles up and bubbles up and bubbles up and then they explode occasionally. So it's not that. It's quite the opposite. It's sitting down and paying really, really careful, close attention, observation to that which you're experiencing, right? And so noticing where is this anger showing up in me? Where am I feeling it physically? Am I feeling a tightness in my chest or am I feeling heat temperature rise in my head? Am I noticing my thoughts racing or looping on something? And just simply noticing it. And by detaching yourself from it and just noticing it, not trying to do anything with it, it it's amazing, man. It just dissipates. It's like, ah, oh, I'm back to my calm center again. Yeah. You know? It makes it feel like it's not this mystical thing that we don't have control over. <laughs> Like oh yeah, that's right. It. You know, and then you're the driver of your own bus more, mm -hmm. right? Rather than being a victim and going getting triggered and feeling this and feeling that, and I'm, you know, I'm experiencing this and I'm experiencing that, and I, you know, or I am angry or I am anxious or I am depressed or da da da, and and that there's nothing I can do about it. You you can very much develop the ability to do something about it, you know. And look, I'm not I'm not talking about people who suffer chronic, um, you know, chronic depression. Um, or chronic anxiety or anything that is, um, you know, uh, psycho stuff. So anything to do with being um, unwell, psychologically unwell. That's, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your average nun, your normal urban neurotic. Yeah. Right. Cause we're all, 
we're all very, very complex, us humans. We are a complex creature and we're all kind of neurotic because <laughs> we, we walk around all day with a commentary in our head making shit up, you know, <laughs> nonstop. If you could record that voice in your head and sat, sat it next to you and listen to yourself next to you, you'd be like, oh, my God, you're a crazy person. You don't stop. What are you doing, right? So we're all neurotic. So just for us normal urban neurotics, the practice of mindfulness meditation very much gives you some control over your state of being, mm. you know, and you can use that for, so I, I speak at events, right. And, and I'm human. I get nervous about speaking in front of a large audience, but before going up to speak, I can practice, I can put some mindfulness meditation practice into play and calm myself so that I can go up on stage and share what I need to share with the room. Right. But without the mindfulness meditation, you're just a bit of a wreck and your hands are shaking and you're, you know, you've got a dry mouth and your adrenaline's going through the roof. And so, yeah, it's that's the real benefit for me. It serves so much purpose as I like, even for myself, I do mindfulness practices before every podcast. It really just helps me like drop into a flow state, but also be more present and be more conscious of where I am because you can get into like, even with yourself, when you go up on the stage, you have so many thoughts about what's happening leading up to that moment and also what might happen after. But really just centering yourself into that moment has a lot more benefits than the other two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's why I think of it as a bit of a superpower. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you imagine if you're in, in any sort of negotiation, right? So you're having to to have a have be in communication with someone who is vehemently opposed to what you are thinking. And there's there's conflict and it needs to be resolved, right? Your ability to remain equanimous, as in in your calm center, through that communication, that's a superpower. You're the one. You're the one really influencing the potential success of that communication when you are the calm one. If you're the one who's lost your lost your stuff, <laughs> um, you very rarely kind of get the outcome that you were hoping to get. You really be able to control the energy because I feel like it also helps with regulating your nervous system. So another mm. good example would be road rage. You know, the other person is giving you the bird and flipping you off. But if you stay yeah. regulated, if you stay calm and you know you really regulate yourself and stay really present in that moment, that person's not going to be angry for long. So they're not going to want to yeah. keep road raging at you. So eventually they'll end up calming down and getting to your level as well or somewhat close to it. So it has so yeah. many benefits. Like when you do put in the work into yourself and how that can impact your environments around you. Yeah. Yeah. So much. They'll either come, they'll either calm down and come to your level or they'll find someone else to get angry at. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny, man, because, you know, when you, when you, when you come to this place of consciousness and, and, and remembering that, that we really are a tiny, tiny, tiny speck, on a speck orbiting around one of a gazillion stars, you know. I mean, I like to look up at the stars, dude, and and just remember that where we are on planet Earth, orbiting around the sun, we're out on the edge of the Milky Way, which is a disc-shaped galaxy. And to get from our side of the Milky Way to the other side of the Milky Way, traveling at the speed of light, which is roughly 300,000 kilometers per second, traveling that fast, it still takes 120,000 years just to cross the Milky Way, wow. right? And the Milky Way is one of billions of galaxies that we know of, billions, right? Now, I still trip out over that, 
and that's that's the that's the, the that's the galactic scale of things. And then at the same time, you think about the micro scale of how ridiculous it is that you even exist out of the billions of sperm that managed the one sperm that managed to get to the to that egg, and here you are. You, we are all walking bloody miracles, right? Yeah. And we're not around for very long because if you look at the evolu- like the, the the evolution of the whole universe, as far as we can tell, humans have only been here for the last split second, you know. And I don't know how much longer humanity is going to be around. We might morph into some cyborg, or we might morph into AI, or, or we might blow each other all up. And and when we're not here anymore, planet Earth will breathe a sigh of relief and, and recover, probably. Um, but just to put things in perspective, I find really helpful. So when you have the ability to meditate, come to a place of consciousness and remember all of everything I just said then, it's hilarious. Life becomes really funny. And the fact that someone's flipping you the bird and, and screaming at you in the traffic, it becomes actually really comical. It's like, <laughs> can you believe people are going around getting angry at each other for for not letting each other into the traffic? And, yeah. and like that really matters, you know. <laughs> And it's so good, like when you have that perspective on life, like when you look at the bigger picture, because talking about like the time lapse on Earth, I saw something online about if Earth was on like a 24-hour clock or like our existence as humans, we are at 11.59 p.m. and 59 seconds. It's like even below that. So it just shows like how, like to me, it's like a very humbling, fulfilling thing to know of because like, all right, things have happened before me, things are going to happen after me. I'm just going to do what I can to enjoy the life i got now. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and try and somehow in some way, you know, positively um, impact life around me to some degree. You know, the fact that you sit up at night recording a podcast and recording conversations that you hope might help someone somewhere, that's beautiful, man. That's a life worth living. You know, when you can find a way to contribute. And this is what I say to, to people that I come across who ask me. I don't go around talking to people unless they ask for this kind of conversation. But if, if it's a family member or a client or someone that's suffering, and especially if they're suffering depression and they go, Jam, have you got any anything for me? Because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really depressed. One of the things I say to do is go and find a way to contribute to the life of someone else. Go and f- just get creative around what can you do to positively impact the lives of others and you'll feel a bit better every time you do it. Um, so contribution is is a nice way. And, you know, you were talking, mate, about how we'll be forgotten. I love this, right? I I ask people, do you know the four names of your grandparents? Yeah. Most people go, yeah, I do. And then I go, do you know all eight names of your great-grandparents? Right. Most people. I've only met one person who knew them all. Everyone else goes, I don't know the eight names of my great-grandparents. And then I go, well, how's this? Your grandkids, their kids, they won't even know who you were. Your grandkids' kids won't even know your name, right? So when you think about legacy, it's not going to be people remembering your name. It's going to be the good work that you did continuing to positively impact the lives of others, hopefully, right? Yeah, it's the impact you make. That's that's so good because I feel like that's a gem that you just dropped there. Like if you are going for a tough time and you're so absorbed about yourself and your own struggle – use that energy to help someone else and you'll start to see like that energy that weighs so much down on you. You see that starting to lift because when you start seeing someone else's spirit lift through the help that you're helping them with, 
and you start getting the purpose in life. You start feeling fulfilled. You start feeling a bit of proud of what you're actually doing in this world, the way you're contributing. Like there's so many good ways that it can have such a good effect in your own life just by helping someone else. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a um, an author, you might've come across his work, Johan Hari, his name is. His most recent book is Stolen Focus, which is definitely worth a read. And then his first book, or at least the first book of his that I read was called Lost Connections. And he has lived his whole life with depression. Um, and he got really, really curious about depression and, and what what practices can we employ to try and alleviate the suffering of depression? And he traveled around the world. I think it was about 10 years he was traveling around the world trying to get to the bottom of it. And it wasn't just one thing. There was like, how many different things in his book? Sorry, Johan, I can't remember exactly how many there were. I think there might have been 12, like 12 different things that help with depression. And he found that when he activates several of them at the same time, it just makes him feel better. And one of them was that. One of them was um, do something good for someone else, mm. you know. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, it makes sense because I know with yourself and your story, you've traveled a lot of the world. I'm assuming like every part of the world you've been to, you've witnessed people from different cultures, different religions, different ethnicities, different everything. But the one thing they all have in common is like one person helps the other. Yeah. 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 That's, that's so true, man. We, as a species, the whole, the whole uh, reason that we've been able to evolve off the Savannah plains of Africa, uh, we weren't the fastest, fiercest creatures. You know, there were other animals around that were bigger and stronger than us could eat us. Um, but the way that we learned how to survive was teamwork. Yeah. You know, working together in teams. That's we're a social creature. We need each other. We need each other. And that's why we we have a strong um, need for connection. You know, it's it's ingrained in us. We need connection. It's survival for us. And that's why isolation we don't go well with isolation apart from the anomaly, you know, the monk who sits in a cave meditating for 30 years, eating, eating bread and doesn't see anyone. That's the anomaly. But generally speaking, us people, humans, um, we don't do well in isolation, man. We get depressed. We die sooner. People who live in isolation um, have a shorter life expectancy. They have health problems later on in life, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, man, we, we really need each other. And you know, to anyone who's feeling stuck or feeling depressed or feeling really flat, um, try and try and find a way to connect with someone. Try and find a way to do something good for someone. Try and find a way to get into nature, nature yeah. therapy. Swim in the ocean, walk through the bush. You know, get get a walk up in the mountains, immerse yourself in nature. Really, really helpful. Mm. I feel like immersing yourself in nature in today's world is like. Thing that's being lost you know being in touch with the earth within itself but you always feel the most grounded when you are in nature when you are sitting on the sand when you are walking through the trees you know that's when i feel the most connected to myself and i'm not sure if you relate with this but when i'm in nature i feel like thoughts come to me easier like yeah. bits of wisdom come to me easier i don't know what it is but i just feel really connected yeah 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 absolutely oh and there's lots of theories about how and why that happens um I mean, but I think one of them, which seems obvious to me, is that when you're walking through a city, like if you live in a city and you work in the city and you're pretty much surrounded by concrete or bricks and 
materials, man-made materials and cars and buildings and computers and iPhones and um, televisions and non-stop static. There's, there's um, you know, in terms of the, the, the input to our brains is just relentless, but also in some physical sense, there's a lot of static in the air, man. Imagine if you could visualize or if you could cat, catch on some sort of camera all of the stuff flying around between all the mobile phones and the satellites and everything concentrated in the cities. Now, I don't know whether it's going to cause your brain tumors or not. We'll, we'll find out in the next 50 years. I'm sure we'll find out about that. But it's causing static, I reckon. And that static is interference between... Uh, I know this is going to sound woo-woo, but go with me on this. It's causing interference between divine wisdom, right? that wisdom that exists in the just in the in the in the existence because it, it's there to be had the divine wind wisdom and you actually tuning into that so there's a lot of static but when you get out into nature and it's quiet and there's less beams flying around everywhere you're just in the trees or in the ocean or in the mountains i think that you like you're saying i think that's why we're more open to having those light bulb moments those moments where we go Oh my God, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. What a great idea. You know, that's why um sorry, I'm going on a on a little bit of a tangent no, here, good. but that's why um I love the retreat that I've been running in the Himalayan mountains in India for the last 10 years, 11 years now. And I love it because I take we take our clients remote, remote, high up in the Himalayan mountains, off the beaten track. There's no people where we go. We've got pack horses carrying our gear. My local mates over there are our guides. Your phone doesn't work, right? You're no reception. We're cooking on a fire, sleeping in tents, um, and you're high up in these magic, majestic, massive mountains. And I tell you what, Ryan, every single person that's come on this program with me has at least one massive light bulb moment where they see their life in a way they've never seen it before and they go, oh, my God. God, that's that's it, right? Yeah. You know, and then we talk about what are they going to do when they get home to implement that and et cetera. But that's why I love doing it, man. It's 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 nature therapy at its best. And I feel like with the static as well, do you feel like it disrupts frequencies? And that's also a purpose behind the why of we may not be able to get those light bulb moments or those thoughts or those bits of wisdom that we usually get in nature. Because I feel like when I listen to binaural beats as well, even in the environment I'm in, which is quite static, it can come to me a lot more easier. But without my binaural beats on, I feel fuzzy. Yeah. Maybe that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does make sense. There's got to be something in it, man. Look, I don't know the science behind it. I'm only um, imagining, but it makes sense to me, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of frequencies getting thrown around all over the place in, in cities, and that, that's got to have some impact. I mean, we're, we're a part of the system, right? We're not separate from the system. To think that we are separate and we're not affected by our environment, or we're not not affected by the tides, or the or the you know the solar positionings, or the the lunar positioning. I mean, that's just it's just it's just not true. You know, we are intrinsically and inseparably a part of our environment. Where every time we breathe, eat, drink, we are literally consuming the environment. Every time we smell something, we are consuming particles of that thing that we're smelling. Right? We are physically changing and regenerating throughout our life 
and we are changing and regenerating with it with everything around us our environment so we are completely a part of our environment i mean that's why um that's why women's cycles are lunar they're in sync with what's around us. It just makes a lot of sense. So to to think that um, us creating a world now where everyone pretty much has got a, a, a smartphone of some description and it's shooting out a whole bunch of information and receiving a whole bunch of information all the freaking time, to think that that can't be affecting us, I don't know, it seems a bit naive to me. You know? Yeah, 100%. I also want to go to your retreats you do as well where these people go up and they go into nature and really connect like what do you think is the common thing that you've seen people really receive from being in nature like what's the common positive impact that you see in these people's lives well i mean like you and i've been talking about already it gives some time and space for healthy clarity hmm. but the nature the nature immersion is only one part of why the retreats work there's also, um, I, I run the retreats a long way from people's normal paradigm. Yeah. So if you've grown up in Brisbane, Australia, um, and you've never been to Delhi, India, there's that part of the experience. So culturally really different. And then to... And then the mission to get to where we go to, it's not easy to get to where we go. So then there's the, the flight on a little tiny plane up into the Himalayan mountains to a little airport called Kulu Airport. And then my brother comes down with his mates and picks us up in their four-wheel drives. And then there's an hour drive up to their village and then up a really bumpy, stony road up to the little temple where we stay. And then there's the seven days of hiking, which is not easy. So so you are completely completely removed from your normal paradigm which means that you're psychologically open to new new thoughts new thinking new perspectives um, and then there's the content that i teach so I, I teach content personal development content understandings of human behaviors of your own of others you know we talk about that functional sense of identity and values we talk about how do you connect to flow as in the, the greater system how do you um get better at opening up and, and accessing flow? How do you communicate more effectively with others? So we talk about human behavioral styles and, you know, communication styles and love languages and all sorts of cool stuff. And then we talk about purpose. You know, what is your purpose? Why are you here? And you get to make that up. So the clients walk away with, you know, a bunch of really, really profound, beautiful content, but they've had, they've been able to assimilate it in a stunning location, whether it's the Himalayan mountains in India or the jungles in northern Bali where we go or the deserts in Australia where we've been up north of Broome. Um, you know, but the, the nature has to be stunning and then the content and then the time away as well. Mm. That's beautiful because it gives you the experience aspects of it as well with the travel and seeing yeah. new things mixed with doing the work too. Yeah. Yeah. Talking, like I want to quickly talk on conscious communication as well because communication goes both ways you know it's like it's rather communication with ourselves or communication with other people i'm not sure if the advice on either or is the same or it's different but to start with communication with others like conscious communication what is some tips that people could take away that would really help them be conscious of their communication yeah so so by conscious communication what i mean when we're more conscious of something we're more aware of it so to be more conscious 
in communication is just to be more aware of the communication itself, not, not just your own agenda. So like you said, Ryan, communication involves more than, well, there, there is the communi internal communication, which is where I think you need to start in terms of improving your communication with yourself. But then when you're in communication with other people, there's other people involved. So being more aware of them, being more aware of the communication itself. So what is the purpose of this communication? What's the higher, per the real purpose of this communication that I'm in right now? You know, where am I at? So being more conscious of where am I at? Am I um, getting defensive right now? Am I getting agitated? Am I um, queuing up? Am I queuing up and waiting for a gap in the conversation so I can get my point in there and try and prove that person wrong? Uh, where am I at? You know, where's my physiological state at? Where are they at? Where's the other person at right now? Where do I think they're at? Are they upset? Are they calm? Are they happy? Are they excited? Are they nervous? Are they anxious? Where are they at? You know? Um, so being more conscious of the communication. And communication um, is not a telling. A communication is a sharing. And it comes from the same Latin root word, which is community and, um, you know, this coming togetherness. So communication is a sharing and um, it's to, 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 for everyone to understand, to come to some sort of understanding, you know, which is not always easy to do. So yeah, conscious communication, man, in the book, in, in my first book, um, the art of conscious communication for thoughtful men. So the first one was written for men, but a lot of women have been loving the book and thanking me for writing it. Um, but that's the first in a series. I've just signed a, a publishing deal with a publisher in Miami, in Florida, in the States, and we're about to start the series of communication books, which is exciting. Awesome. But in there, the, 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 the first part of the four parts of the book is it starts with you. It starts with you. Start to be aware of how you communicate with yourself, especially when you are feeling shitty about yourself, right? So if you tried to do something and you failed, what are the what are the actual words you're using? Pay attention when you're reprimanding yourself because we speak abusively to ourselves, you know. Um, I don't want to swear too much. I know I've sworn a bit on your show already. It's all good. It's all good? It's all so good. you think about it, right? So when you've done something and you're really upset with yourself, this is very common for people. We say things like, ah, oh, geez, I'm such a fucking idiot. You fucking idiot. Why did you do that? the fuck did you do that for you fool this is the words this is how we talk to ourselves or when we get out of the shower and we're standing in the bathroom naked looking at our reflection in the mirror and you've got um negative body image and you're looking at yourself and we say things like you're so fucking fat geez you're fucking ugly like what the fuck get your shit together that's how we talk to ourselves so this is creating a relationship with self that's toxic man yeah that's a toxic relationship with self. And if your relationship with self is toxic, your experience of the outside world ain't going to be healthy. Yeah. Right. So it's got to start with you. And I talk about this in the book and I, and I give ways to do this in the book. And, you know, I, I call it self-okayness, coming to a, a self-okayness, you know, not thinking that you're better than you are, but not thinking that you're worse than you are, just, just being okay with who you are. Like acceptance, would you say? Acceptance, self-acceptance. Self-okayness, you know? And so, yeah, so that's where the conscious communication starts. But then from there, um, you know, then you can get curious about the people around you and life around you. And, you know, if I'm chatting with a friend and I know that this friend has a particular communication strategy or style, 
I'm going to communicate in their style if the communication is important to me because I'm not just speaking for the sound of, so I can hear the sound of my own voice. I'm, I'm sharing something with them because I want to connect and create some understanding or I want them to feel loved or I want them to you know, get some information or whatever the purpose of the communication is. So I'm going to adjust my delivery, hopefully, so it lands better, you know. Yeah, and the shared experience aspect of it makes so much sense because if you're ever in a conversation with someone and you feel like they're only a part of it so they can reply, like it doesn't really feel like a conversation you wanted to be part of. You don't feel like you're being heard or being listened to. No, no, not at all. And you've just touched on something there, which is, you know, it, it's such an important key to communication and that is cultivating your ability to listen and to seek to understand you know, to be curious, genuinely curious. And, um, you know, I mean, look, I talk about this, you know, a, a fair bit, but I, it's because I'm passionate about it. If you're in a conversation with someone, say you've, you've met a new person and you're in a, in a conversation with them and they say something that your immediate trigger to or your immediate reaction to is, no, 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 that's bullshit. I disagree with that 100%. Notice, notice that you've immediately gone, no, I'm calling bullshit, right? Notice that. And go, hang on a second. This person's got a different point of view to me. This is an opportunity for me to lean in and get curious and go, how did you come to think that? I'm really curious. Now, it doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with you. It doesn't mean I'm going to just go, oh, okay, well, then I agree with you. That's not what I'm saying. But before I choose to agree or disagree, I'm going to get curious. How did you come to that thinking? You know, this, is, this curiosity and open-mindedness, I think, is something we need to cultivate because this is what's going on globally now. You've got blue and red. You've got anti-vax and pro-vax. You've got pro-life and pro-choice. You've got, you know, all of these polarised um, people who've become polarised and they're not listening to each other. They're just shouting at each other and trying to cancel each other on Twitter for crying out loud, dude. Yeah, Lean like, in, get curious, you know. Yeah, it's like you have to be the mediator in that situation to find common ground. Like you said, there's so much divide between one side versus the other side. And if we remain more curious and open mind this, we can find common ground and we can find middle ground. I'm like, cool, these are our beliefs. These are my beliefs. How can we find a way that's actually going to bring a positive impact on everyone or to majority yeah. of people instead of me shouting at you, you shouting at me, not going yeah. anywhere or sympathetic, sympathetic nervous system being jacked up. I was being angry and all yeah. these other things instead. Why can't we just come together and have a conversation? Yeah. Conscious conversation. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to dig too deep to find stuff we've got in common. Mm. We all need food and shelter. Yeah. We all need water, right? We all feel the grief when a loved one dies. You know, we all, if we have, if we're parents, we all care about the survival of our kids. We've got a lot in common, us humans. Oh, and we've all got the same color blood, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you want to go crazy on colors of things, you only have to do a tiny little scratch in the skin and realize that we're all, we've got the same color blood, right? And so if we can start with what, what we've got in common, and we've all got the same common bigger problems too. Climate change does not discriminate. Climate change will not care whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. It will not care. Pandemics, we just figured this out. Pandemics don't discriminate. The only thing that, 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 will be a divide the inequality is in the the inequality distribution of wealth right so wealthy people are probably going to be able to buy their way out of climate change easier than poor people are 
but the wealthy people are only at whatever percent, five percent, two percent of the Earth's population. For the rest of us, it's there's no discrimination. So we should be coming together and going. Do you know what? You um, have completely different religious ideas to me. You have completely different spiritual ideas. Your food is really different to my food. You speak a different language. You um, raise your children slightly differently to the way I do. But let's sit down and find out what we've got in common and let's pull our heads together and see how we can actually work together to try and come up with some solutions to these bigger problems. You know, I, that's what I think. And I know that's idealistic and people go, yeah, yeah, that'll never happen. But I think that we should be trying. We should be having a crack, you know, and we should be having conversations like this. 100%. Like if we don't have the belief that it can happen, then how are we going to influence people that in their life it will happen? Like it yeah. may not reach everyone, but it will reach some people. And those yeah. people, it will ripple effect to the next and the next. And that's where the real impact lies, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, man. And people, you know, anyone listening to this that goes, yeah, but what can I do? Tiny little 1% things, when they add up, make a massive difference. So I know that there's been this pay it forward kindness kind of thing. Great. Do that. Walk down the street. Look for a situation where you can be kind to someone, you know? Just, just a little tiny thing that you can do, and it's a ripple effect to a ripple effect. You know, you're standing in line at the petrol station, and someone's short five bucks. Chuck them five bucks. <laughs> yeah. See what happens. They'll go. You what? You, I mean, you won't even see it, but they'll go on and be kind to people because you were kind to them. So, so you know, we can, we can do little things, and at the very least, even if Ryan, even if you live your life being kind and doing little one percenters, even if it all goes to shit one day, at least your life, you've had integrity, you've felt good about yourself, you've lived your best life because you've lived in this way, you know? 100%. I think that's a beautiful way to end the brother. I love that last topic we just discussed. That was um, one that's going to impact a lot of people, I believe. Yeah, nice, man. Hey, it's been really cool to to connect. We've been teeing this up for a little while, so um, thanks for being patient with getting me on. Oh, no worries at all. It was a pleasure. I just want to finish off. Like, is there anything that you want to finish off saying or is there any words that you wanted to share before we finish this up? Yeah, I just want to say um, you've made it. You've made it to this moment. And um, it's nice to acknowledge that. And, and you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now, apparently. Because there you are. <laughs> there you are. Right here, right now, just the way you are. So reality tells me that you are exactly who you're supposed to be in this moment and you're exactly where you're supposed to be, even if it's uncomfortable or if it's comfortable. Acknowledge yourself for getting to here. Take a breath and um, and get curious about how you can design the future. Beautiful, Gem. Thank you for your time. You're welcome, mate.